Hey, it's J.D. Webb with the Got Me Live crew. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we had our last show before we went on hiatus, had kind of a mess up right there at the beginning. Uh, trying to get A.J. into the show on Skype, uh, kind of in a mad dash, and uh, we lost the first 30 minutes. Didn't miss a whole lot, just the uh, the regular opening and whatnot. We're going to pick it up with Tyson Perzik. He just joined the show, so uh, please enjoy, and uh, we'll see you on October 6th when we fire back up again. Um, you guys did did mention earlier that you know they talk a lot about like running the business, you know, and that seems like a big deal, um, and uh, and just doing doing things on on scale, um, and, and getting getting the honey. Um, one thing it wasn't from your show; it was from when I visited uh, Charm City in, City in person in Baltimore, and uh, just the size of the container of honey that they have. Uh, it has like this nozzle that comes out of it that you know looks almost like a fire hose um and wow. they, they weren't they weren't using it at the time but i said i really wanted to come back when they they open that valve up and just let the honey like pour out um you know because <laughs> wow. i have to imagine it's really impressive to see just that much honey i'm sure it doesn't like you know fly across the room but it's it's more than anything you've seen in your home um oh. so the scale is is quite impressive that some of these meteries deal with yeah I uh, I've seen uh, there's a couple of places that I get my honey from uh, out here where I live. Uh, one is Bennett's Honey Farm in Fillmore, which is not too far from me. The other one is up in uh, Ventura uh, Heritage Honey, and uh, I've, I've been in both of their processing rooms and uh, huge vats of, that they fill up with honey. I've never seen uh, as much honey in one you know vessel <laughs> at one time it's just amazing you know you just want to dig your hands into it and just scoop it up you know? <laughs> <laughs> and the smell is amazing uh but uh well you know we've had uh, we've had a number of people on the show and uh aj i think you hit it on the head i mean it you know it, it, it's one thing to be able to make mead uh correctly and successfully uh, it's another thing to be able to put it on the shelf and, and get it out the door and sell it to the consumer. And make enough of a profit that you can continue doing this. Yeah. Uh, you know, which uh, brings me to my next, uh, not a really a question, but a comment about uh, all, the, all the people that we've talked to. And, and maybe this is something, uh, maybe this is something that's going on in other places, uh, but the tasting room. They seem to be gaining in popularity, uh, not just with the meteries, but even you know these microbreweries. And uh, I mean, this is this is almost it's almost necessary for them to expose people to meat. You think? Oh, I think so. Um, the time that uh, when I got married, our honeymoon was drive around the province and see what stop at all the places we never stopped at before and uh, we toured some wineries in the Niagara area and um, all of those places had somewhere where you could sample the wine and that like you know if you're charging $30 a bottle for a bottle of wine you kind of want to know what you're taking home right. and if you don't know enough about your own palate to guess what you would like from their tasting notes um, and like for me I, I well, I uh, I bought a bottle of wine because what I tasted matched the tasting notes, you know. 
Yeah. I actually did taste pepper and grapefruit in, in the grape wine, you know, and, and it's like, wow, I didn't know you could actually taste things like that. I thought it was all hoity-toity people talking about stuff that they make up in their heads, you know. Right. But I yeah. actually tasted it that time, and, you know, the, the fruit winery that I really like down there, um, you know, one of the things I took away from that, I didn't need to buy their strawberry wine because mine was just as good. Right. And I actually liked my blueberry wine better than I liked theirs because I dilute mine a little bit and I found theirs was too strong and cloying. But their raspberry was everything I could have dreamed of. So, you know, that's what I came home with. But if I hadn't had a chance to taste it, what would I have missed out on? Right, yeah. Yeah, I, you know... Oh, go ahead, Yeah, the tasting rooms give the meadery options for doing other stuff. So, you know, in addition to making the meat, you, you like you said, they can have people who've never experienced meat try it. Um, but there's a lot of uh, ones that I've heard about, you know, that, that do more. They have events there. Um, they're able to take their experimental stuff and put it on tap and get feedback on their oh, products. Oh, totally. So, so there's, a, there's a lot of advantages to having your own tasting room uh, and having, you know, having enough draw that brings people in time and time again and, you know, gives you feedback and gives people need. Well, that, and if you make it a fun place to be, then people make a day out of it and go and do that, and that's what they do, as opposed to just, I'm going to go buy a bottle of mead and drink it. You know, we're going to go out to the tasting room and see what they've got that's new. And and so I've been watching on, on YouTube, Grunfell Meadery does a uh, Ask the Mead Maker series, short weekly videos of, of stuff that goes on, uh, and I binge-watched all of theirs and caught up to the current um, and some of the events that they've done in their tasting room, they had uh, they had a grand opening, which was black tie, although they said they would let anybody in who made an effort to dress up. Um, <laughs> they have a plaid party, because it's up in Vermont. Everybody, I guess, likes plaid shirts there. And, uh, and so I don't even think I own a black tie. <laughs> yeah, so, well... So, so the the videos help you learn. If you don't know what black tie is, then Ricky the Mead Maker will show you what it is. But uh, they had plaid parties. Um, uh, this is exper- doing experimental stuff. Every Friday they have a new, you know, like a new five gallon, you know, experiment on tap that you can try. Oh, cool. So, uh, so it's been, it was fun to learn and you know and and humorously watch on the on the video like some of the stuff they've done. Um, so for folks who haven't been able to visit a meadery, you know, you can only you can only go online and get so much ideas, but if you watch some of uh, Grunfell's, and that's G-R-O-E-N-N-F-E-L-L, uh, if you go watch their stuff, they do they do one of theirs is a tour of their meadery, so you can see their giant conical fermenters, and, and you can get a picture of uh, what this stuff looks like uh, and get entertained at the same time. Quite a, uh, I, I don't know if I'd call it a gimmick, but I mean, it's, it's certainly a unique way to market your product and you know for those of us who who you know when i started into into making mead i had never even tasted it before i had no no clue what it was that i was actually making and uh you know which which was quite puzzling to me because i and and it was and it was it didn't it 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 kind of affected me in a way because i wasn't sure what what am i looking for what was the result am I supposed to be getting here, you know? What is it supposed to taste like? And, uh, I mean, and everybody here knows the story about my quest for me <laughs> in my area, you know, uh, and then, of course, happening, happening upon the, the, you know, what I call the mother load of mead uh, at a, 
turned out to be just a little tiny little local liquor store of all places. And suddenly I was exposed to this, God, this wonderful tasting stuff that I thought, oh my God, this is what it's supposed to taste like. Now I know what to shoot for. Now I know what, what I'm looking for when I when I make my own. So, uh, and the exposure, I mean, I, there, there's nothing around here in Southern California. Uh, and, I, and I have looked, uh, but apparently I haven't looked hard enough. Uh, but I'm gonna, when I go to restaurants even, uh, I'm going to start asking if they have meat. Uh, and, it, it, and it is an exposure thing. I mean, if you've never been exposed to it, I mean, how, how do you know, you know? Uh, and it's certainly a unique way of getting your product out there and exposing it to the public. You put these tasting rooms uh, together. And, uh, you know, I mean, what, and what a unique way to, to kind of dress it up with the plaid party and the black tie and all that. I mean, I mean it sounds like a lot of fun at the same time, you know? Well, I think if I were to open a meadery here, just the way they've set up the restrictions and the way you have to do it, like, I can't just go and put it in a store. I have to sell it on site, and the, where I make mead has to be in the same building as I process my honey, and there's all kinds of restrictions. So I think the only way I'd be able to get it marketed would be to have a draw that actually gets people to come out and do things. Like a tasting room, so that's something I'm going to have to keep in mind once my mortgage is up and I can think about a farm. We've got uh, a few people listening in. Uh, give us a call. What was your first exposure to meat? How did you discover it? And, uh, you know, have you been able to find it in, in your locality where you live? 818-921-4680. Love to hear from you about it. Uh, and, I, you know, I mean, it, it, to me it would be kind of interesting to find out across the country, you know, how, how did people, how did our listeners come upon this meat i just i discovered it because i was looking for something to do i thought i wanted to brew beer uh and then during my search i saw this i kept this word mead kept popping up in these different places now what is this so uh, but that's how i started so uh tyson how did, what was your first uh exposure to meat <laughs> so I'll, I'll tell you a little a little thing here because when I first made mead and I tried it, you know, I, I knew I knew I liked honey. I knew I liked this idea of making it and stuff. But then I, you know, I tried one of my first couple batches, or I tried some of uh, Alan's uh, mead, and I was I was kind of like, huh, this this is what mead is. I, I wasn't like wasn't sure if I was tasting what it, what it should have been. Kind of like what you were saying, and um, uh, and it wasn't until I tried a few uh, traditional meads from meaderies, and uh, and it tasted like like the stuff that I made. It tasted like Alan's made it. And so it's like, okay, if their stuff tastes like my stuff, then I must have been doing it right, and this must be what it tastes like. Uh, and so, I've, I, you know, after I had those experiences, then I kind of felt more comfortable uh, with what with the taste of mead. Um, and so I just, I don't know, I thought, it was, I thought it was funny. I thought maybe there's something wrong with me. Like, maybe I don't understand this whole mead thing properly. But, uh, but I, do share the, I, do, I do share it with other meaderies, so it's good. How about you, Brandon? Well, as I said already, my dad, he, he, he used to make wine. And actually, my whole family, they, they used to like to make wine. Uh, my grandparents, they, they owned a very famous Maltese uh, wine uh, mm. bar. Anyway, and uh, so, so that was always at the back of my mind. Then there was this... Uh, 
Patrick Rothfuss, uh, my at, at, two years ago at least was my favorite author, and he posted that he used to make mead, and that and he actually posted his his recipe, and from there I had all the equipment in, in the basement, and I said, okay, I'm just going to try it, and I went for it, and then uh, as you may imagine, to make mead you have to do a lot of uh, research. I got connected to the forum that got, got me, and the more I read, the more I became interested. And from that recipe, I went on to making even more meats, always experimenting. Wow, am I the only one who'd actually tasted meat before I started making it? <laughs> you might be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's surprising. Because well, I started, I started making it because I fell in love with this stuff called Moniac Mead, which is, a, you know, it's a fairly sweet uh, mead that is made in Scotland that uh, Canada imports, and uh, a whole lot of my friends thought this stuff was just awesome, and I thought it was too. And then I went to a Pagan Festival for a couple of years, and every year there was a guy there, and I would uh, barter, I'd give him a back rub, and he'd give me a bottle of his homemade mead. So I got some really good stuff from him too. And uh, when I started making it, uh, I already knew what I was looking for. You know, I always uh, I love honey. And I cook with it. Uh, I make barbecue sauces with it. Uh, I mean, it goes in everything. I mean, it goes in pancakes and waffle batter. I mean, you name it. I, I put it in everything. And I've tried, I mean, you know, I mean, there's mesquite and the orange blossom and eucalyptus. I mean, just a whole, a whole bunch of different kinds of, of honeys that, that I've been able to get from, from my couple of sources here. And so, you know, when I saw when I saw that mead was was a wine fermented with honey, I thought, oh well, this is a, this ought to be fun. So that's what kind of piqued my interest in it, and I started, you know, doing a little bit more research. And of course, you know, as the story goes, GotMead.com uh, is basically the brunt of my, uh, you know, I mean, it's the final place that I kept coming to. So I learned from GotMead.com you know what the process was and and so i just went to the brew shop and told the guy i said i want to start brewing mead put put the whole pit. i want everything just sell, you know whatever it takes <laughs> so i, I saw home. you coming in the door <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah i mean i you know i came home with a truckload of uh, stuff to start making mead with so uh i never having tasted uh, any of it so but um have you got anything fermenting right now, Brandon? No, no, at the moment I don't, because since it's summer, temperature gets way too high. So I'm patiently waiting until the temperature drops. And when it drops, I'll have like three batches going, because I had a lot of time during the summer to, to think about what, what's next. We've got a caller on the line, uh, 4612. Uh, who are you? Where are you from? And uh, welcome. Hey, this is Dave Webb, 58 Limited. From hey, Dave. You know what? Okay. I swear I'm going to bookmark your uh, your phone number. <laughs> Between you <laughs> and Chris. As much as Chris. <laughs> so what's, uh, what's going on in your neck of the woods? Well, I was calling in in reference to the discussion about where we first uh, tasted mead or learned about mead. Yeah. 
and uh, with me it goes all the way back to reading Beowulf in high school. Ah. About how it's in the Mead Hall and all that, and I became intrigued with it then, and then had some back in the 1980s at a local Renaissance fair south of Dallas. And uh, of course, it was Chaucer's Mead, and you know, as a teenager, I didn't know anything. I was like, okay, this is okay. Uh, flash, fast forward to college. Uh, my roommate taught me how to homebrew beer, and I joined the local brew club. And one of our academic advisors uh, was a meat maker, and he gave a talk on making meat, and it kind of went from there. Oh, cool. Yeah. Have you got anything fermenting now? Yes, I have a uh, Royal Nefeguin recipes off the forum. I'm using arrowleaf clover honey for it, which uh, grown in East Texas. And uh, of all the honeys I've tried, I've done over a dozen. This is actually one of the tastiest honeys I've ever had. I'm hoping it makes good mead. I think, um, yeah, I mean, there are some honey. I think the taste of honey uh, is very important. In, in this whole meat-making process. And I think I heard Oscar talking about that uh, during one of his sessions. I think and he also said the smell of it is almost as important. Yeah. And, I mean, because there's a couple of honeys, avocado and eucalyptus uh, come right off the top of my head. I wouldn't think of even... I mean, I, I don't like either one of them. The eucalyptus tastes like medicine to me. Apparently, it tastes like that when you make it into a mead, too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I mean, there are medicines that are made from eucalyptus, you know. Uh, and the avocado is just, um, I mean, it tastes like a tree, you know. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't taste good. So, I, I think, uh, I mean, wouldn't you agree, David? I, I mean, isn't the taste of the honey uh, important? I mean, that, if it tastes really good. I think, I think it is. I think you got to like the honey if you're going to expect your meat to turn out. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, sometimes the flavor is quite different when you take away the sweetness. Yeah. Tyson, uh, what kind of honeys have you been exposed to, or, or, or is there anything in particular that uh, where you live that you're most familiar with? Or? And I'm still... What are, what are your honey sources, too? So I'm still looking for a, a good Virginia honey. Um, up in up here in northern Virginia, there's not as much, uh, you know, apiaries and stuff. Um, I've got a lead on one, and I'm just trying to get some samples of theirs so I can try it before I buy, you know, five gallons or whatever. But um, the honey that I've been using, I purchased at the... Uh, farmer's market in Madison, Wisconsin. They have a huge farmer's market around their Capitol building uh, every summer. And uh, I think it's Gentle Breeze Honey. Uh, they had their little table. And I, I, I got honey sticks there ever since I was a kid. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and then they, you know, so I was walking by after I started making mead and saw, hey, they got some big jugs. Um, and they had a 60-pound uh, tote. So it was like this big plastic cube with honey and uh I called Alan up and I said, hey, the price of this, you know, I don't remember what it was, but I was like, is that a good deal for, like, a lot of honey? He was like, yes, buy it. So uh, so most of the recent needs that I've made have come from just uh, white, uh, not white clover, but just clover honey from Wisconsin. Um, so so that, that, that's turned out pretty good, I think. Uh, but I did, I did talk with Amina Harris. She's the director of the Honey and Pollination Center out at UC Davis, and she does. They do that mead maker short course or introductory course now. 
and she sent us a couple honeys and uh i really liked the utah white clover which was you know way different than this wisconsin clover that i have uh i think the wisconsin stuff maybe was a little bit mixed it wasn't pure uh different kind of clover um and if i could get my hands on that uh white clover from utah i know i know alan gushes about this every time he gets a chance to as well but uh but it just it tasted so different and so unique and it had it had cinnamon directly in it you know you didn't add cinnamon it was just part of the honey um Hmm. so that that is a real special honey uh that i would be curious to make a mead with you know and i think uh aj didn't oscar i think in one of his sessions uh, he was talking about the different uh like buckwheat honey for example i mean there's a big yeah there's some places where it tastes like the sweepings off the barnyard floor you know yeah. But I mean, the, I'm told that the stuff I get should be like that, but I don't find it bad. And I actually add a kilogram of that to every uh, batch of traditional I make just for a little bit of complexity. Well, and I, I think I even heard him talking, or, or somebody on the show talking about uh, even the orange blossom honey out of Florida tastes quite a bit different than the orange blossom that comes out of California. So, I mean, honey seems to be regionalized too. So, I mean, you're talking. Oh, absolutely. You know, you're talking clover. I mean, you know, now you got to get specific. What kind of clover and what part of the country, you know? And yeah, think, because uh, the, uh, the the temperature and, and the ambient water is probably going to have a, an effect on the taste of the flowers. And, yeah, there's so many different factors. We've got another caller on the line, and that's a familiar-looking number to me. Got a familiar voice to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, Chris, Hi, Chris. Hey, how's everybody doing? (laughs) Missed your last show, so, uh, I mean, before the night was over, I was going to either call you (laughs) or or, uh, at least entice you to uh, make the call, but... uh, Oh, I was was working. I'm sorry about that. (laughs) Not a problem. Uh, AJ and JD and uh, Brandon and Dave, how's everybody? Pretty good. And Tyson. Yep, doing, yep. doing good up here in Virginia. Yeah, doing good here. Yep. Oh, you're you're absolutely right about the honey. Uh, it, it's it's different everywhere. No matter what variety you're getting, it's it's different. Yeah. Uh, Even year to the year. The one thing I. Oh yeah, uh, the one thing I found that that's really interesting is that. The more meat I make, the more that I find out I like to blend honeys. Uh, I hardly ever make a straight uh, meat anymore with, with just one one variety of honey. Uh, I guess because I've, I'm actually starting to get to the point where I can taste the little subtleties and I find something I like in each one and I've started blending them. And it really works out good for me. Uh, Especially considering the honeys that we could hear, you know, the, the local honeys here are, are really not good for me, so. Yeah, that's, you said that before on, on one of the shows, and you, uh, you were kind of partial to Tupelo honey, right? Uh, I like Tupelo honey, but, uh, I sort of classify my honeys that I get in, uh, standalone honeys and blendable honeys. And, um, you know, there, there are people who consider Tupelo as a standalone, but I don't particularly. 
Uh, I think Tupelo honey is best if it's blended with, with something else. Uh, if I had to pick a standalone honey, it would be sourwood. Uh, and that's something that you should be able to get up in Virginia uh, from the Appalachians. Uh, you should you should have access to some good sourwood up in there. I'll, I'll be on the lookout for it. What it uh, makes have, a wonderful wonderful mead. Have you got anything in the fermenter, uh, Chris? Uh, I will next week. Uh, I'm about to start a batch of my poor man's Heart of Darkness that uh, I'm going to get ready and send into the Mazer Cup. So uh, I need to get that going, and the weather is just starting to cool off a little bit. Uh, so I'm going to get that going, and uh, probably, oh, I may start that this weekend, actually. There you go. Are you on call tonight? No, I'm free and clear tonight. Absolutely. All right. Well, hey, st- stick around with us. We've got another caller on the line, 8824. What's your name? Where are you from? And uh, good evening. Yeah, this is Matt from Minneapolis. How are you tonight? Matt from Minneapolis. Uh, very good. Uh, and you've called the show before, too. Uh, yes, I need sir. To, I need to book. Uh, I, you know what? We, <laughs> AJ, we need to write down all these phone numbers. <laughs> I, I am, actually. Okay. <laughs> Now, what's going on uh, in your neck of the woods? Well, uh, two things. Uh, one was you were asking about the first time that you made mead or, or ran up, oh, uh, yeah. came across mead. Yeah. Uh, actually, it was uh, Charlie Papazian's book uh, when I was a home brewer back in college. And funny enough, um, Gentle Breeze Honey out of Mount Horb, Wisconsin, and, and I know Tyson was talking about uh, getting at the farmer's market same place I got it, never tried mead before, uh, made two batches of it with that gentle breeze honey, um, and frankly, it didn't come out very well. It, it was uh, closer to acetone. I don't blame it on the uh, honey. It was more of my my techniques, probably, but um, and essentially, never tried it um, from any commercial um, meadery or anything uh, of that sort, just uh, kind of made it myself and was kind of disappointed in the results and didn't, uh, until I joined a club and started, uh, I guess, uh, finding out about um, uh, staggered nutrient additions and, and all the rest of the kind of modern techniques that I actually started making something that wasn't uh, going to take nail polish off. So, you know, I, I, it it, uh, it really helped. And then once it actually started tasting meads that, um, um, from other commercial mead makers, you go. Oh, okay, well, this is—it's getting a little closer now. Uh, and then, and then part two was I heard uh, talk about uh, buckwheat and avocado uh, blossom meads. I've actually uh, entered in one uh, competitions. Um, uh, for instance, the Happy Halloween uh, competition um, up in uh, Grand Forks. I've won with an avocado blossom mead, which, frankly, you know, it, it, it's teach his own. But I think. Um, to the previous caller's point, you need to kind of think about blending or back sweetening or changing with um, uh, citric acid or acid blends or tannins or adding oak. Every honey is good. It's just after you ferment, you have to be willing to uh, tweak it. And um, avocado blossom or buckwheat, I've, I've won with uh, competitions with buckwheat honey as well, but you kind of have to find the right honey. And even if you find the right producer of honey, each year it changes depending on what the, uh, the 
bees are, are feeding on. So it's it's really something where you need to concentrate on kind of post fermentation or 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 tweaking things uh, depending on your, the taste. And I think that's how you become a better mead maker. Not only using modern techniques, but really just tasting the mead after it's kind of you know three fourths complete and, and, and deciding how you're going to attack it after that. Chris, uh, I want to ask Chris, what was your first exposure to mead? I mean, how, how did you, uh, how were you exposed to mead in the beginning? Well, my my main hobby all my life has been an amateur bodybuilder, uh, and I still do. And uh, so, being a bodybuilder, I was eating you know six to seven meals a day uh, all the time. And as I got older, uh, I started to have some digestive issues. And I was talking to an enterologist friend of mine, and uh, he said, you need to get into some fermented food. So I started making uh, homemade uh, sauerkraut and kimchi, and uh, then I went from that to uh, kombucha and uh, uh, kefir and stuff like that. And somewhere along the line, looking for things to ferment, I came across mead. I, I, it was in the Google search, I'm sure, somewhere. And uh, that's how I came into mead. So, uh, you know, it's funny because I'm not a big alcohol drinker. Uh, I've always been real health conscious, and uh, uh, I don't I don't really drink a lot of mead. But, but in my search for different things to ferment, and, uh, of course, it was an entirely different kind of fermentation, but... Uh, that's how I came across mead. Yeah. And I made mead for uh, quite a while before I ever tasted any any commercial um, commercial mead. But what the uh, what Matt was saying there uh, <clears throat> about post fermentation adjustments, I think that's one of the reasons why I started using uh, different blends of honey. Uh, I found out that I didn't have to do a lot of adjustment post-fermentation when I had the right blends. Um, for instance, you know, the orange blossom honey tends to give a, a little bit more tang and a little bit more, to my palate, it gives a more of a, an acidic uh, flavor. So that sort of negates the need to add acid post-fermentation if I put, uh, put that in the blend. So... You know, everybody's got a different palate. Everybody perceives it differently, and some people are going to like uh, a higher acid. So that's you know that's the reason why some people like dry, some people like sweet. But uh, that was that was one of the reasons I started blending honeys was to to minimize the amount of work I had to do later. <clears throat> Interesting. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I while I got you on the line, I got to tell you. Uh, you know of my heart condition. I just had a doctor's visit the other day, and he knows that I'm doing all this meat making and wine making. So he's he's rather concerned, and, and I keep telling him, Doc, I don't drink this stuff. I said, I'm when I get done, I'm bringing all the bottles to you. <laughs> <laughs> I give away I give away a lot more than I drink. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Same here. Everybody always jokes. I've got a brewing problem, not a drinking problem. <laughs> Yeah, we uh, we keep some for uh, for some of our sabots, you know, from Mabin and and Solon and things. But uh, aside from that, that's that's about you know just on special occasions. So. 
Yeah. Um, wow. You know, what a discussion we're having tonight. Uh, and uh, the phone calls just keep on rolling in. Uh, Matt in Minneapolis, have you got anything going right now? Oh, sure. Um, I do oh, a lot sure. of... Oh, oh, listen to that, AJ. <laughs> <laughs> oh, everybody's got something. Go ahead, Matt. <laughs> well, I, I do... So, a lot of times I think... Um, I do a lot of split batches. So, when you say, what do I got fermenting, I probably have about a half dozen, dozen different... So, I have a boche, a, a ginger meat, a candied ginger meat, a traditional, a key lime meat, a carrot need a sizer um so, so i like to I, I like i like to take a, a traditional meat for instance and then about halfway through after i'm kind of done degassing and adding nutrients then I'll, I'll split that off into like three four different batches and then start adding things like beets and carrots and crazy things so have you done parsnips yet it's on my list no no parsnips so i um uh i i would yeah, that, that sounds interesting. I, I like the root vegetables, but I'm always interested in making them uh, as least dirty as possible. So, uh, well, they, yeah. you know, I like earthy, but when it gets dirty, then it then it gets kind of crazy. So, I, I just finished up a ginger, speaking of that, and uh, I think it's going to turn out real well. It's my first one to make uh, with did, ginger. Did you use raw, raw ginger or candy ginger? No, I used raw ginger. I didn't even peel it. Uh, I scrubbed it down under running water, uh, grated it up. Uh, I used, uh, this was a one-gallon batch, which is very unusual for me because I, I hate small batches because it's, it's a, the same amount of work and you don't get much yield. But I wasn't sure I was going to like it. So we used a, uh, I used a pound, uh, just a little over a pound of ginger grated for a one-gallon really batch. batch. Wow. Yeah, it's going to be good. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be good. If you like ginger, that's going to be a good one. I I did a one pound (laughs) in a gallon batch, too. Oh, yeah. And uh, the the only bad thing was uh, I was aiming for about 14% ABV, and I ended up with about 19 because the temperature got a little high on me. Oops. So don't don't think don't think for a second that seventy one B won't go to nineteen percent because it will go in a heartbeat. <laughs> Jeez, stuff's loose. David, I think you were uh, you were going to say something in there. Did I hear you? Oh yeah. Oh, it actually was Matt. I, I was uh, I, I was going to say uh, C. Piotz, who actually is a member of my homebrew club, um, also, also uh, wrote a, a, a book recently on on making mead and. Uh, he, he got me into doing the candied ginger, which I really uh, like raw ginger. Don't get me wrong, but um, uh-huh. it, raw ginger almost has a horseradish type of twang to it that really gets you in the sinuses. And I, and I find, for whatever reason, the candied ginger kind of takes <laughs> takes the edge off a little bit. So if you like the raw ginger, um, try, try the candied ginger. It, it'll, frankly, it'll be a little bit more expensive, but um, it, it really uh, kind of takes that horseradish type twang off of it, and, and you can, frankly, use a lot more ginger and get a lot of that taste, but it still doesn't hit your sinuses the same way, so you might want to try that. I haven't had yeah, so much I, trouble I with it. I haven't had so much trouble with it hitting me in the sinuses so much as um, just using fresh stuff and putting it straight in has made things a little bit funky. So I prefer to steep it. I make a ginger tea out of it first, so I'm not actually putting the ginger in the in the brew. 
Yeah, uh, I can I can see where I can see both points. You know, uh, but I like uh, I like the hot ginger. I like it real strong, and, um, and I tend to do that with everything I make. I go overboard with it. If, <laughs> if I'm making a if I'm making a raspberry, it's going to be raspberry. If I'm you know if it's strawberry, uh, I buy up all the strawberries around. So uh, I, I like I like it to really really scream what it is. I know Dave's been trying to get in here. Dave, uh, you had something to say, I think. Oh, I just think I've done ginger meats, too. I love ginger. I've never tried the candy, and that's very interesting. I think that's something I'm going to give a try to. Well, you know, some of a pound of ginger in one gallon before, but I do like ginger, so that's something worth trying. AJ, in my wanderings, uh, you know, looking at what different people use in their meats and I've run across everything from jelly you use maple syrup yep uh, I mean I've been known to throw the odd chevette part in too yeah. it's like rock soup right rock soup <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah I guess if you're hungry huh uh, well uh, what a unique group we've got going here uh, from all across the country and I think that's one uh, one of the fascinating things about this whole experience three uh, different countries actually yeah three different countries actually uh, you know and this I mean this is a cool thing about got me live having this opportunity to be able to jump on and talk to different people from uh, different parts of the world uh, and find out what's going in their neighborhood. And I'm eager to see the pictures. Uh, if Brandon can put those pictures of those fermenters up, uh, I'm, I'm eager to see what they look like. That's another thing that kind of fascinates me is the equipment that is being used. And, uh, Chris, I think you said you did most of your stuff in gallon jugs, uh, car, gallon carboys, I think. Uh, no, well, I use uh, food grade buckets. Uh, oh, okay. I've got a uh, I've got a 7.9 gallon bucket, and I've got a five gallon, and I've got a two gallon. And um, you know, I think Brandon was saying that he uh, he starts out like if he's making a gallon, he starts out with maybe four and a half, five liters, and then he steps down. Well, that's what I would do. So uh, I'd probably make uh, maybe one and three quarters gallons for a one gallon patch to start with so and then I would step down I would I would rack that off into a, a four liter jug for secondary and then I would step down from that into a one gallon jug which is like 3.9 3 3.8 or something 3.78 I think yeah well you, what's the, the point is you, you end up uh, with no headspace problems uh and and so if I'm making a five gallon batch, I'll actually I'll make a six gallon batch and I'll or six and a half and I'll rack it in secondary it goes into a six and a half gallon carboy, then it goes into a six and then into a five eventually. And uh so I always start out with more. Uh and that just eliminates the headspace problem and then I don't have to get my racking cane all the way down in the bottom and worry about sucking up leaves that I've waited for three months to drop, you know, so. Um, what do you do with what's I'm, left over? Do you pitch it or drink it or bottle it or? I use it as, as, a, as a benchmark to taste and 
and maybe play around with it a little bit if I'm thinking about back sweetening or uh, if it if it needs some acid adjustment or something, I'll I'll use that to sort of do some testing testing with you know. Dave, uh, what do you use to ferment your uh, meads and what kind of equipment are you using? I use nothing but buckets. I don't own a carboy. Just for storage reasons, I can stack buckets, and you can't really stack carboys. But I start off with a 7.9 gallon uh, primary. Or actually, a lot of my meads are about four gallons because I just use the 12 pound honey. So I'll start with a six and a half gallon uh, primary, and I'll rack into smaller buckets uh, in secondary and tertiary. And you just uh, you just store the buckets then. Airtight I lid. Buckets and uh, I'll bucket age or bottle depending on how it's tasting. Uh, I did one hydromel that it spent two weeks in the primary and it tasted so good I caved it right up and put it on tap. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> and how long do you keep your buckets? What's the long? Uh, it varies. Uh, I've had some buckets that'll stay eight nine months and others just two to three months. And that's interesting. That that brings up another point. Uh, I think a lot of people worry a lot too much about about headspace with mead. Uh, there's no doubt it can oxidize because I've had it oxidize before. Uh, but you know, I, I've often wondered if I'm going overboard worrying about headspace uh, because this is not wine. Well, especially if it's still been off-gassing and it fills up whatever headspace you've given it with carbon dioxide. I, I don't worry too much about it if I don't, you know, as long as I don't rack it too often, I don't worry about it too much. And with my drinking mm-hmm. set, I've got a CO2 tank. I can put a CO2 cap on if I have to. Well, there you go. You know, mm-hmm. the, the amazing thing that I'm hearing uh, here, AJ, is this whole thing with buckets. But I've, I've been very careful about the kind of equipment that I want to use and very careful about, you know, making sure that, uh, you know, it's food grade, even looking for the little seal on the bottom of the uh, container, uh, the little triangle with the number two in it. And I, you know, I mean, I've read uh, where people have uh, talked about these off flavors and smells and tastes that come from plastic containers. So, I mean, and here's Dave uh, storing his meat, aging his meat in plastic buckets. So you you don't detect any off flavors or anything uh, from that at all? Not really. I mean, I had one I forgot about for two or three years, and it had some off flavors. And I don't know if that was just oxidation or if that was from the plastic. But most of my meats, and I also do uh, some wine kits, like port wine kits that all bulk age for months. And all of them turn out great. I don't really have a problem with it. I would bet that's from oxidation because I've never had a problem with plastic either. Uh, you know, I've, uh, I do all my primaries are in a bucket, and uh, I don't get into carboys until uh, at least secondary, sometimes even tertiary. It just depends. But, you know, I come out of primary before fermentation is finished. Uh, I engineer that into my, where I want it to stop. Because I can always depend on, uh, I use 71B for everything, so when it when I rack, I can always depend on it coming down another 10 gravity points, and it's usually going to stop. 
And uh, so I'm I'm not worried about that in, in secondary because it's still fermenting. Uh, but, you know, I've stored things in plastic. Uh, I had a uh, I had several carboys that came from a spring water supply, and they were plastic, food-grade plastic. And uh, uh, I stored them in that for a long time, and I had no problems whatsoever. So... Yeah, I've used uh, plastic water jugs um, for long-term storage, like the Showmead that's uh, the boil-no-boil boil test Showmeads. They're still in plastic, and that's been years if you check up on the forum. Um, and one of them oxidized because the airlock went dry, but I'm not getting any plastic flavors or anything from that. And I've actually had stuff in a bucket. Uh, I did a cranberry JAO, and I just left it in the bucket till the fruit sank, and it took about six months, and... It was it was fine. You know, I'm, I'm almost wondering now. Uh, you know, if there's any actual real data out there that says, hey, you know, don't keep, you know, don't keep alcoholic beverages in, in plastic containers. Well, they sell alcoholic beverages in plastic containers. They no, just give you a shelf life. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. <laughs> I mean, when I do my uh, infusions uh, and things, I mean, I buy vodka and it comes in plastic bottles. Yeah, you got your plastic Mickey's. I mean, you get your plastic mudslide bottles, and um, even the place I used to get all kinds of great glass bottles from for coolers, uh, they've switched to plastic too. Yeah. Well, this spring we'll have a definitive answer because I'm sending a mead to the Maser Cup that's been in plastic since the day it was pitched. Cool. So, so we'll we'll find out how good how good it is. Yeah, and when Oscar comes back and says, "What is this plastic tasting crap?" Anyway, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to appeal for a different judge. <laughs> oh no, you want Oscar judging it because he will. If there's anything to taste that's exciting in there, he will taste it. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, I have. Uh, you know, I bought this new equipment, and, you know, I struggled with the temperature control, and I thought, okay, I, I need to do something different. So I invested in the stainless steel uh, fermenters. I'm actually going to order a second one uh, tomorrow. Uh, for I hate a- you. Just for the record, I hate you. <laughs> well, this is that, the second one is actually going to be my secondary. Um, but uh, so I, I thought, okay, my first big test here. Uh, I picked a recipe out of the patron side of the form. Here again, get your 25 bucks in. Get to that <laughs> patron side. Alright, this is a recipe. It's one of Oscars. It's an award-winning 2006 uh, Orange County Fair out here in California and it medaled. Uh, I think it was Best of Show or Gold Medal. One of the, I mean, it was a top medal winner. Uh, and of course, it's Oscars recipe. And of course, you know, he's been helping me with it. Uh, it's uh, it's just a traditional mead. It's made with orange blossom honey, and I have finally learned to chuck the pounds and ounces. I do everything by the hydrometer now. Screw <laughs> the pounds. You know, I was so worried. I mean, you know, when it said 22 pounds, I mean, I was right there. If it was an ounce over, I'd take an ounce out. Well... No more of that. Uh, you know, when the, when he says that the starting gravity should be uh, 1.135, <coughs> my God, that's, you know, I just keep adding honey until I get to that point. So uh, right. this, this is a six-gallon batch. Uh, it's being fermented with 
20 grams of D47. Ah, you use metric. Sorry. Well, I, I kind of have to. I'm, I'm getting there, AJ. <laughs> uh, I mean, even the temperature, uh, I, I've got a 48-quart uh, cooler uh, that I have customized uh, that holds my chilled water for my, for my immersion chiller, and it's got a metric temperature gauge on the side of it. So I'm getting there. Uh, so, uh, And it, it's chugging along pretty good. Uh, and I'm quite happy with it so far. And, uh, I, you know, I don't expect it to be a medal winner. I mean, this is really what I'm, what I'm, I mean, this is my real first meet, my real first bonafide uh, meet. And I've been, I mean, I, I'm, I'm keeping records. I mean, I, I've already got like six pages of notes, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm not expecting a medal either. Uh, I'm only sending a mead to the major cut because I think it, you know, if I'm going to be the got mead groupie, I think I should represent and send something. <laughs> there, you so, there you go. You know. That's awesome, Chris. <laughs> it would be a shame to... Well, uh, let me ask you this, guys. Uh, everybody that's here, let's start out with Brandon. What, what's keeping you in the mead making? Uh, what keeps you going? Brandon, you there? Yeah, it's a tough question. Being the first one to answer. Well, <laughs> first of all, I've got a lot of honey, which I don't know what to do if I'm not going to make mead with it. Because I bought in bulk. So that's a good excuse. And I bought a lot of uh, Gesho, which is the stuff they make uh, the Ethiopian honey wine with. Oh, cool. So, yeah. And I had to import that from America and uh, huge shipping costs and whatever. So that's another good excuse. But uh, really, it's, uh, it started out, as I said, with Patrick Rothfuss and... But then it became like uh, a hobby, and it became, I think, it's like Chevette Girl said, uh, AJ, uh, that it became a brewing problem almost. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, j- I have two batches, and I'm giving them away, and, uh, you know, they're saying it's good, and I enjoy seeing people enjoying it. And uh, it becomes like a, when, when you're mead-making, it becomes like a tranquil state for me. It becomes relaxing, and you know, after a year, you get to taste it, and it, it, it's rewarding for me. You know, it's. Excuse me. I don't what, know. What, what about agent? Uh, I cannot abide the sight of an empty carboy. Um, I. And also, I can't stand the idea of fruit going to waste. So anytime I see something that I can ferment, I grab it and make it something out of it. Um, to the point where I've got about 100 pounds of fruit in one of my freezers that is just waiting for me to have carboy space to deal with it all. But, uh, you know, it's apple season right now. I've already made seven or eight gallons of apple cider, and that's only starting. Um, i got a 15-gallon carboy I need to fill, so i am got to get it emptied first. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I, I, I got a brewing problem. I, uh, I, I just can't not ferment stuff. Um. That reminds me that uh, here in Malta we have a whole lot of prickly pears 
And we have so mm-hmm. much that they fall off the trees and they just go to waste. We have a lot of carob, the same thing. They just fall off the trees and they go to waste. So uh, I enjoy picking those fruits and fermenting with them. Yeah, that's how I got into it in the first place is because I had access to all these interesting fruits that may not have been, you know, they weren't grocery store quality because they, for, you know, trees that have never been sprayed and all of that. But, you know, they're certainly fine for making wine out of. Yeah. Dave, uh, what, what keeps you into making me? Uh, it's uh, still a learning process for me. I've been doing it for several years, but I keep learning new stuff, especially since I joined Got Mead. But it's just kind of the fun of creating something that hopefully is good and that other people can enjoy and perfecting the craft at the same time. Yeah. Tyson? All right. So my answer is easy, right? So I'm doing doing the Mead Maker podcast over at (laughs) M-E-A-D-M-A-K-R.com. And uh, and so that's that's what's really keeping me and pushing me to make more mead and just do it. It's it's, it's discovering a whole new area that you've never explored before, and you get into like talk to all the people who know everything about it. Um, and uh, and I don't think I could do all that and not keep making mead at the same time. I think I've got to get a few batches in there, even though a lot of my time spent talking and uh, and drinking other people's mead. Um, but I'll still make some. Sure. I'm really a brewer at heart. However, brewing is kind of a science. Um, It's it's, uh, it's much more controlled. I like the artistry of mead. Not to mention I have a job and kids. We're brewing some kind of double decoction mash. Beer takes seven hours. I can throw together a mead, at least start the process in under an hour, and I I think that fits more into my schedule. Um, And then also the shameless plug, I also have a Twitter account, uh, Matt Whitey at bluehandmead.com, so I I feel like I have to fill it with content uh, as well. So, you know, it's nice to kind of brew brew batches of mead and and put that up and and get comments as well and get that feedback. It's it's such a great sense of community, uh, so that's what helped drive me so so you're you're that matt on twitter that i i see all the time so that's cool i'm, I'm talking to you in person now. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah yep and uh it's uh it's just fun it, it, it's just a fun hobby so it's uh it works out a little bit better than brewing even though i still love i love brewing but uh, it's a little bit more time consuming than making mead frankly well, I do it because every day is a Saturday. It's always five o'clock, and I'm retired, and I don't have anything better to do. So <laughs> that's my excuse. Yeah, I think I hate you now. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, it's I actually I started out looking at beer, and my wife and I love craft beers, and. Uh, the more I kept looking at, and I'm with you, Matt. I mean, you know, the more I kept looking at these recipes, and thinking, "Geez, I gotta," you know, I mean, this is like a long process. Okay, I don't know if I'm up to it. I want. I, it's not that I wanted more immediate results, but uh, I, as as much as I am retired, I've only got so much time in my day too. Uh, my lifestyle isn't quite what you think, and I really don't want to go into all that, but. 
uh, I had some time during the day that I needed to fill with some kind of some kind of uh, uh, you know something to do. So the beer thing that that went out the window uh, when I when I found this mead. I mean, mead was just simply water, honey, and a and a vessel uh, and some yeast. And you know, then I discovered all these different things that you could put in it and 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 whatnot. And they, my God, the one list of uh, AJ. I mean, my God. The styles. I mean, someday on the show, we need to go through all the different styles. There are like, oh hundreds, god, you know, and <laughs> so, uh, you know, so I got into this mead thing, and everywhere, and, and this is something else that I that I wanted to talk about too, just briefly, was the fact that, you know, during my discovery of mead. Uh, I'm going out on the internet, I'm, I'm learning about I'm watching YouTube videos, and there's just website after website out there. Uh, preppers, homesteader, um, I, I, I mean, you name it. People who spend time in the kitchen, they're all, all these people are making meat. And so I started writing down recipes. This is long before I knew that, you know, what nutrients, when to feed, uh, how much to feed, all, all the things that are missing from these other websites. I mean, how many of you uh, went out when you first started, you know, did did the, 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 the Google search thing, went to these websites, found these recipes, and started making mead according to what they had listed? Did anybody here do, do that? Nobody? I actually I started, I started from a book, and I didn't go looking online because I had a book. And I'm not sure if Google was around when I started making mead. Well, I, you know, I guess my point is there is so much information out there about mead, but it's a lot of misinformation. They're not telling you the whole story. Uh, I yeah, didn't know. like internet. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, and, and I'm not taking anything away from the people who posted. I mean, they got these cute-looking websites, and I mean, they're they're putting an effort into into their website and, and what they're doing, but unfortunately, they're just not. And I think this adds to people's frustrations, like mine, uh, because I've had I've had those that I could have put in the gas tank of the car, and I'm sure it would have worked just fine. Uh, it wasn't until I, I kept coming back to Got Mead, and of course met up with Vicky, AJ, Oscar, started reading more about uh, you know the correct way of making mead, you know the nutrient schedules type of nutrients, the daps, the, the fermate K's and O's and whatnot. There's a lot more to this, uh, don't you think, than just uh, throwing some honey and and water in, in, a, in a vessel with some yeast? I mean, is this, how, is this, how, is this where you guys started out? Dave? Yeah, I started out just kind of, well, originally uh, the academic advisor, he boiled his honey and and I discovered uh, the regular got me tutorial and I quit boiling honey but I was basically just throwing honey and water together with whatever spices but I'm learning more and uh, with got meat I've learned about the staggered nutrient addition and all that and uh, things are moving along and getting better yeah. <laughs> and uh, I mean how many of us started out with the Joe's Ancient Orange me I did that was my first I've actually never made that one. I 
I'd already made a traditional before I started making JAO, but uh, once I found the JAO, I got the bug, and I keep making them. And I still, to this day, don't know why I chose that as my first, because I don't like oranges. (laughs) (laughs) And you're you're a health-conscious person. I just, I don't like oranges. I just, uh, I don't know why I chose that. I guess because it was simple and easy. I, uh... Did you like it? Uh, if it didn't have the orange in it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Secret, it works just fine if you use a lemon. Yeah, I I thought about uh, doing your version with the blackberries. Oh, it's awesome. I got a five-gallon cup stack going now. Yeah, I'm all about something that you can put in a jug and forget about it. So, yeah. One of the uh, one of my biggest frustrations with this whole thing is grapefruits. I so much. <laughs> I'm serious. I so much because I'm one of I'm like Matt. Okay, I, I want to play around with some different ingredients, and I love grapefruit. I mean, I was raised on grapefruit juice, grapefruit, and of course, when I was diagnosed with this heart thing, as uh, my doctor Chris here well knows, I can't freaking eat grapefruits anymore, which uh, upsets the hell out of me because of the medications that I'm taking. Well, I'll settle you on this one thing. Uh, grapefruit JAO is not the best JAO I've made. No? It's not bad, but it's not great. Yeah, see, that, I mean, that, that would have been something that I would have you know, attempted had... And I just, I, I can't risk having a grapefruit in the house because I know I'd eat the damn thing. So, <laughs> and I'm not supposed to. So, um, yeah. Could, could, could you make a, a grapefruit lime tincture? Like, it, no. not the actual grapefruit itself, but just no, the, nothing. kind of the, nothing? No. <laughs> no. No. No, he's, he's looking at medication interactions here. He's, uh. He's, he's going to double his dose of his medication without taking more if he starts eating grapefruits. So yeah, so I, I mean, and that's, I mean, I, I absolutely loved my grapefruits. I mean, I I always had a gallon jug of grapefruit juice in the refrigerator. But I mean, as such is life. So I move on. I did the orange thing. Um, you know, some of the things I've done in the past. I mean, let's talk about the mistakes that we've made. Uh, heat got me. Uh, that destroyed, oh gosh, any number of, of gallon, you know, jugs that I've made. Uh, and, you know, when we talked about equipment, I actually switched from fermenting in glass gallon carboys to two gallon uh, plastic food uh, containers that have airtight lids. You can get them at restaurant supply stores. And I just drilled them out, put a grommet in, fit an airlock on it. That gives me the headspace. I can, uh, you know, I can throw a gallon and a half in it, uh, and I have plenty of room for, you know, the sediment uh, before I rack it into a gallon jug. So, and I and I did. I mean, my first thing was like the blue. I mean, and and I think AJ. I don't know if you remember the blueberry thing. I, mean, I just I stuffed this gallon jug full of blueberries. Yeah, you end up with what half a cup at the end of it all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, and I, I made that mistake. So, what, what were some of the mistakes that you guys made? Uh, let, let's start with Chris down in Mississippi. What, what, what were some of the biggest mistakes? Um, 
Well, you hit it on the head. Uh, temperature control. Uh, I've been I've been saying this ever since I learned it. It is the most important part of turning out a good batch that you can drink fairly quickly. In my opinion, is is temperature control, and uh, and I went and bought one of those small refrigerators like the uh, kids use in the dorm rooms at college. They're about oh, I don't know three feet high. And uh, it's just big enough to put a 7.9-gallon bucket in. And I put a thermostat on it, and I ferment down at the low end of, uh, of the temperature range, usually around 59, 60 degrees. And, uh, yeah, I, I run lots of batches by, by not controlling the temperature. So that's, that was most definitely my biggest mistake. Yeah. And Matt, have you uh, have you had some uh, just utter failures that uh, you've attempted there? Oh sure, oh sure. Um, by the way, I'm I'm just googling uh, grapefruit interactions with medications, and I didn't realize the list was so large. Uh, yeah, uh, grapefruit is a uh, kind of all of a sudden scaring me here. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, one of them is the. Um, aging needs. So a lot of people say, oh, you know, if, if you need is horrible, just wait a year or two. Um, frankly, just filling airlocks. I hear a lot of people say, oh, I forgot about it for a year or two. Well, if you forget about it for a year or two, your airlock goes dry. Uh, and that's one of the, the biggest things for me is just making sure yeah. if it's in some corner of the basement uh, that I'm, I'm still filling up those airlocks because I'm in an area where sometimes you get fruit flies and whatnot. And, and it's a sure thing when you have about eight you know, 20 dead fruit flies on the top of your mead that uh, it, it doesn't make for good drinking. Um, temperature control is a huge one. I, I feel like a lot of this stuff, though, it, after you get through your first couple batches in terms of, you know, uh, nutrient additions, making sure you're pitching a, a good a good uh, slug of yeast um, and temperature control, those are, those are a big one. And then I, I'd also say that degassing, I, I find that especially when you're working with citrus and things that lower your pH, it also really helps. If it, it just, just letting that thing sit with all that CO2 sometimes can also uh, uh, cause off flavors because the pH just goes too low and your yeast just stalls out on you. But uh, the biggest one is... <laughs> Fill up your bubbler or your airlock because uh, going dry certainly will cause issues for you. Oh, I hear you on that one. Although, if you catch it early enough, fruit flies doesn't necessarily ruin a batch. But it is no, because I've, I've, I've spooned several out. Yeah. Yeah, that's the reason I bought a wine filter, but that was actually one of my best batches. What, uh, AJ, you've been, you've been doing this, you know quite a long time you've been oh what mistakes have i made i've made all of them i used to dry pitch yeast i used to never stir i didn't aerate i would put all my nutrients up front i've done all of it and i still turned out some pretty good stuff um i have also i've never i've never been able to do temperature control so pretty much now um i'm using seven uh, k what is it k1v1116 as my go-to yeast because it seems to be about the only one that doesn't really care what temperature you do it at um, because I, I just don't have the ability to control the temperature and um, yeah I've, I've had airlocks go dry 
I've um, I've had fruit fly infestations. I've I've done it all. Um, I think the worst batch I ever did, I left the fruit bag in for too long. It was a friend's homegrown uh, Concord grapes, and I put two drops of that stuff on my tongue, and it made my whole tongue numb. So I threw that batch out. That is the only batch I have ever thrown out. The rest of them, I have you know kept around for a very long time i've got one batch that has been in a car but i crap you not for 10 years now waiting for enough of the tannins to dry drop out of it for it to be drinkable i made it from high bush cranberries and way too many of them but it smells so good i couldn't bear to throw it out but it's gone from immediately spit to maybe i could swallow this to that's actually starting to have potential <laughs> so sometimes you do just have to wait these things out and sometimes it takes an awful lot longer than you'd think Brandon uh, Brandon seems to like K1V. Yeah. As I said before, we have a bit of a temperature problem here in Moka. And since I'm doing like pretty pear melon melts, uh, if I wait too long, uh, the pretty pears will all fall from the tree. So I found that K1V is my savior. Uh, out of uh, problems, the first mistake I've made is that I went to the local brew shop and I told them I need energizer. And the brew shop, they don't know what, the, they don't really know what meat is. So they just gave me that because that's the, the t- what they use for, for wines. I think that grapes, they have all the nutrients they need usually. So when I did my first batch, it stalled on me. So I made a larger batch and I just pitched that in midway through the fermentation. So that's my first mistake. Uh, second mistake was uh, I tried a carob mead. And it seems that carob is like coffee in a way. Right. Because you need to roast it and you need to boil it in order to extract the flavor. But I put it in raw and and it, it seems that easy. they just take the sugar and they left everything. <laughs> uh, they, they just eat the sugar and they don't care about the rest. So it became very bland and very, very bad. Mm-hmm. It's hard to describe, actually. I, I, mean, grew up, I grew up on a street that was lined with carob trees and the mess that they make and the stink of them. Uh, and that you want to... When it got humid out after a rain, I mean, they just smelled a high heaven. But, uh, uh, you know. Yeah, it's hard to believe that they're so strong in flavor, but if you don't cook them right, the the flavor doesn't extract into your meat. I just couldn't believe it. So, you you, you do batches and you learn. Uh. You know, I know I know from talking to AJ that her her pretty much go to yeast is that K one B also. Chris, you said seventy one B was yours. Tyson, is there a yeast that you're uh, you lean to more than than any other? So the the two that I have right now are seventy one B and B forty seven. But uh, the first one that I did, I used just the uh, like I don't know Red Star Baker's yeast, you know, because that's what my wife had for making bread. Um, so I've used all three of those, and the current batches that I've got going, I think we chose, uh, I think we chose seventy one B. Dave, you have a uh, a go to yeast that uh, that you like to use frequently. 
Yeah, my uh, go-to yeast is actually kind of an old-timer that's fallen out of favor, but it's a Dirka dry meat yeast out of Germany. Oh, wow. Okay. It's actually not that easy to find in the States, but uh, a few stores have it, and I really like it. Uh, I discovered this, uh, that academic advisor back in college used it. I lost my culture and had to really search to find it again, but to me, I, I really like what it does with the needs. It's hard to describe, but they're smooth and uh, often quite good, even out of the primary. Yeah, and I, I should I should also say that seventy one B is my go to yeast, but uh, with the one exception, and that's with sizers. And uh, uh, I always consider all the D's as my sizer: uh, D D forty seven, D twenty one, and D V ten is what I use in my sizers. Uh, we haven't gone to any commercials here tonight uh, on purpose because I just wanted to kind of run this through. We're getting late on the hour here. Let's spend the last few minutes. Uh, let's talk about food and mead. Uh, do any of you pair up foods uh, with the meads that you're making or per- even uh, meads that you've purchased? Uh, do you purpose- purposely buy them uh, for a meal? Anybody? Hey, J.D., this is Tyson. I'll start out. Um, as uh, as mead drinker, so that's my Twitter handle, uh, M-E-A-D-D-R-I-N-K-R, uh, I don't have time to eat when I'm drinking my mead, so I haven't been able to do any really good pairings. But uh, I, like I know you. other... Yeah. <laughs> I like you, Tyson. <laughs> uh, so, meat, meat goes good with pulled pork and uh, various cheeses. You know, I don't know if I read it on the forum someplace. Uh, maybe I did. Uh, I, I think I glanced through the, uh, I think it was in the hive section or somewhere in the forum. There's a section about, maybe it's a whole forum board in there about meat and food. And pulled pork seemed to be a pretty popular tagline in, in, in some of the posts. But oh, come on, what doesn't go with pulled pork? Well, yeah. Mm, I, mean, I, I yeah. Personally, personally, I like an ice cold beer with <laughs> Uh, I suppose meat would work, but uh, Matt, uh, do you pair up foods uh, with uh, different meats? Oh, sure. I, I, I'll I'll eat them with uh, Cheetos. You know, it doesn't matter for me. But uh, a cheating thing that I do with uh, mixed company that maybe you know when I, I say I'm going to bring some meat and then they think I'm saying meat and they say you make meat. No, I make meat. Um, that kind of crowd. I like to actually bring an assortment of cheeses, um, and then I'll actually pour different honeys on top of the cheeses. So you get gorgonzola or a goat's cheese. I mean, I think that goes along with the pulled pork. You know, kind of high fat type of things work well, and then that also is a good kind of uh, segue in talking with company in terms of okay, this is a buckwheat honey, this is an orange blossom honey, this is a tupelo honey, this is a clover honey. And then that gets people thinking about the needs that you're actually presenting to them in terms of, uh, you know, almost like a tasting. Um, it gets people more engaged with, oh, geez, all I knew was the Costco brand honey that I buy. And uh, I find that usually is good. Cheeses, uh, I mean, it, it may be that's cheating, but in the same token, if you drizzle some honey on top of it, it usually works out pretty well. AJ, what, what about cooking? Uh, yeah, I don't really pair food. food. I mean, cooking with mead. 
I don't really pair food with meat very often because usually I I have my meat later in the evening after all the eating's done with. But uh, for cooking with meat, um, uh, that's one of the things that I do with you know the the dregs left in the bottom where you let all the rest of the sediments. You know, I'll, I'll put that in a bottle and leave that in the kitchen and use that as cooking wine. And I think probably one of the best things I ever did, I made a cherry wine years and years ago that I used five pounds of cherries in one gallon of wine, and it didn't come out tasting like medicine. It didn't come out tasting like anything at all. It just tasted like alcohol water that was really, really pretty color. But I poached some pears in it, and that brought the cherry flavor out. So that was pretty neat. And I make a lot of um, sizers, ciders, that type of thing, and those go really, really well in the pot roast with the pork. How about Chris uh, down there in Mississippi? Uh, I know you don't you don't drink a lot of alcohol, but do you purposely pair food with the different kind of meads or, or, or anything like that? I don't know about purposely. Uh, I can tell you some that I've had that went well together. Uh, I had a dry uh, nutmeg that I did, and it went good with uh, most any kind of meat, especially pork. Um, I had a cherry, uh, it was a cherry bomb, too. It was a lot of cherry flavor uh, that went well with uh, a ribeye steak, and uh, it also went good with chocolate and with uh, cheesecake. Um, uh, Something that my wife did, she made a reduction with it uh, and actually took the cherry meat and cooked it down to where it was uh, sort of syrupy, and she put that over some cheesecake, and it was really good. I don't get cheesecake as often as I would like, but... Uh, yeah, me neither. Yeah. <laughs> me neither. Uh, Come visit, I'll make you cheesecake. <laughs> I wish. Are you kidding me? Uh, both of my, my cardiologist, my doctor, and Chris would probably kill me if they knew that I was eating cheesecake, believe me. Uh, oh, just a little bit wouldn't kill you. It, yeah, but you, you, I mean, you know... It just a four. I mean, when the wife orders dessert in a restaurant, I mean, it, you know, she gets it for both of us. I take a forkful, and that's it. Because if I, if I, you know, it's just too tempting. Uh, but I, I have my my six pack quickly disappears with cheesecake. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's disappearing with age. It's disappearing with age already, and I don't need to help it along. So. I, I haven't, uh, I enjoy, I do all the cooking in the house, and uh, in my other life, I was probably a chef at some point, uh, but I, I just, I mean, I've watched all of the cooking shows, uh, I've got books of, of recipes, and I, I just, I love spending time in the kitchen, and perhaps that's one of the reasons why I enjoy, you know, being involved in this whole meat making process. I haven't really started to cook with any meat yet. I, I just, I haven't made any that I felt comfortable with uh, that were good enough uh, to rise to the occasion. So, But I'm looking forward to that. It is fantastic for poaching pears. That just I would try. It's, it's awesome. And we, we can pears quite a bit in the summertime. As a matter of fact, we can some about two weeks ago. And now you said that, I'm wishing I had put some some cherry meat in with it. Mm. And during, during the canning process? Yeah, after, after just before you seal the jars. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Why not? 
Well, you yeah. can do that next year. But we still got a few pairs coming in late, so we may. Uh, I may try that. I'll have to get a cherry mead ready though, because I, I don't have any right now. <laughs> uh, I've got one going right now that uh, it's, it, and I use that seventy-one B, and I mean it's chugging along like a racehorse. Uh, I mean t- AJ still today. Okay, there's a head of foam on it, like, <laughs> a, beer, like a beer glass. Oh, God. <laughs> this thing, I mean, there's a lot what of... What kind of cherries? Uh, I, they were sweet, the package said, sweet tart cherries and dark cherries. I have no clue what, I mean, cherry, to me, a cherry's a cherry. And I know there's different kinds, just like there's different pears and different oranges, but... Uh, these were frozen cherries. They were on sale at the store. No preservatives. Uh, so I just gathered, uh, I don't know, a couple pounds, two, three pounds up. Uh, and I used a dark, uh, a, a tart cherry juice. I, I can't get up and go get the bottle, but it was uh, something that I picked up at Trader Joe's, uh, which was another. I saw somebody's recipe. I think one of them might have been one of Oscar's recipes. And, uh, he had mentioned uh, this cherry juice from Trader Joe's. So it's a quart of cherry juice, about uh, almost uh, almost six pounds of honey, and uh, about three pounds of these cherries. And it's in a gallon. I've got it's in a it's in my big uh, my two gallon uh, uh, fermenter. Uh, and it's about a get a little well. It's almost six quarts, so it's over a gallon and a half, six quarts. And it, yeah. I started this about four or five days ago. And I mean, it is screaming along. Gosh, uh, I hope you don't have any sweet cherries in there, <laughs> because if you do, you're going to be sitting there a while. That's <laughs> from my experience. It still tastes good. Uh, yeah. You know, I can still taste the cherry flavor. The sweet, the sweetness is starting to uh, diminish a little bit. Uh, so I think it's getting into its fine. I mean, it's going to finish sweet because I purposely added a lot of honey. I took it up to like 1.135 on the gravity, um, and you know, according to the yeast, uh, which was 71B. Uh, you know, it should finish out on the sweet side with that gravity. That high, you know, starting grab. So that, that's what you're going to. You're going to finish at ten oh five. I know you are. You're going to finish at ten oh five unless you rack it. Uh, you, you need to be racking that thing about oh ten forty or ten thirty five. I'm almost there. It's almost Trust there me. now. <laughs> 71B will go to 19%. If it's well-fed and taken, taken care of, it will go to 19% and nothing flat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is... Uh, I'll have to, I'll have to uh, pay pay attention to that for sure, but I'm hoping that uh, I'm going to get some you know, fairly decent out of it. So, uh, talk, talk to Oscar... Talk to Oscar about it and ask him, but I, I will bet he will agree with me that you need to rack that when it gets down to about 1040 or 1035. You need to rack it because if you don't, it's going to keep going gangbusters and you're going to end up with about, uh, about a 
10.05 mead. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm just uh, I'm looking at my, uh, just trying to pull up my notes here. This started on the 10th, and uh, it started out at 1.135 today, or yesterday. Uh, it was at uh, 1.058. So in four days, <laughs> in four days, it went from 35 down to 058. 1.1. You're probably going to be wrecking tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's moving quite along. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I should, I'll, 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 you know what? I'm just going to take you at your word. I'm going to rack the thing, maybe even tonight uh, uh, when I uh, start. Well, yeah, look for about ten ten forty. There's uh, ten. Yeah, you'll be happy with it about ten forty because uh, it'll keep going and it'll go on down to about ten thirty, ten twenty five, and with that much change, that's going to be just about right for you. Yeah. You're going to think that's too sweet, but if those are tart cherries, you're going to want some sweetness. So, well, this is uh, this is more for the wife, uh, not necessarily me. I'm not a sweet. Uh, I, I don't particularly care for sweet drinks. I don't drink soda pops or Kool-Aids or, or anything like that. Even mixed drinks, I uh, I, I don't uh, drink uh, once in a while a margarita. But uh, this is more for the wife. But I and I kind of want to finish out. Yeah. Well, I, I would have never thought that 71B would ferment through 130 gravity points, but I know for a fact it will. So. Yeah, I was I was pretty shocked. Uh, you know, I mean, it, when when I when I stirred it up the first time, I mean, it got a head of foam on the thing like you wouldn't believe. Uh, and it, every time I stirred it, it did that over the course of four days, and it's twice a day. Uh, and I stirred it until there were no more bubbles. And then four or five hours later, I'd stir it again. And sure enough, that thing would foam up like a head of steam on a beer bot on a on a beer glass. Well, yesterday when we were chatting, you were stirring that thing for like ten minutes straight, and it was still yep. foaming. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, it just wouldn't quit, you know. But it still had, and I taste it all the time. It still has a cherry taste to it. It's sweet. It tastes good. Uh, so I'm I'm keeping my fingers crossed. But uh, guys, it's getting late on the hour. Um, what a show. I, I really enjoyed this. And, uh, AJ, maybe we need to do something like this a little more often. And this yeah, is, Maybe we could do this every every month or a couple of months or something. Well, yeah. And, uh, you know, some of the ideas that we've been tossing around uh, with Vicky, uh, you know, for some future shows, uh, some things that we're going to be working on in the next couple of weeks, is actually putting a show like this together, uh, you know, where we just sit around the table and, you know... Uh, we picked a couple of talking points and, you know, just talk about yeast or talk about honey uh, and talk about the different experiences. And it's interesting, uh, you know, to hear people talking, you know, across the country and across the globe. Uh, Brandon uh, over in Malta, uh, you know, I, I would really like to see the pictures of the fermenters that he's using. And I, mean, and I think... Uh, Tyson, didn't you uh, invest in some equipment here recently? So, I mean, I, I got my friend to buy some stuff. I haven't personally <laughs> invested. 
But are, are, have you, uh, you're into the stainless steel? No, that that's what Alan wants to do. He wants to get some big, uh, big tanks so he can start doing more. He's got to, he's got to build out his garage though first before he has a spot for that kind of stuff. But uh, no, I, I just got, I just got a chiller now so I can do that temperature control. Yeah, and that's, um, uh, you know, and I've got kind of a Rube Goldberg thing going that, uh, you know, I'd love <laughs> to talk about too, and it's actually working. I've got several of them. Uh, a custom one, uh, a, a custom chiller that I made for my little two-gallon little plastic food bucket uh, that actually works like a champ uh, at keeping the temperature of the must at, at uh, you know, a constant temperature. And uh, I thought I was going to be, you know, every other hour putting ice in the ice chest. It runs for almost 30 hours before I have to put ice in. Uh, and I use uh, one gallon uh, uh, container. So lots more that uh, we can be talking about. Uh, you know, and these are some of the things that we're going to be talking about for future shows during our two-week hiatus. Uh you know, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Vicky is out of town tonight. Uh, I don't know where she's at. Uh, but uh, we're going to be meeting with her over the course of the next few weeks. And uh, we're also going to be putting together a, uh, a syndicated calendar uh, where the shows will be on a... It'll be like a radio station. You can t- tune in on a certain day. And, uh, you know, we've got enough Ask Oscars piled up that, uh, you know, maybe a Tuesday at, uh, at 4 o'clock, uh, you know, in the afternoon we'll run the Ask Oscar things uh, every other Tuesday or every Tuesday. Uh, same with the Got Me Live show. Uh, we can calendar those, uh, and it'll work just like a radio station. So we're really looking forward to that. Um the, uh, I want to mention, uh, usually I mention something at the end of the show, AJ, and uh, I, I usually pick something out of the form, but uh, I know it's coming up pretty soon, and this is down in Dave's neck of the woods. Uh, it's actually a post that he put up. Uh, Dave, uh, let's plug the Mead Fest in Texas. Uh, that's still going on, right? Yes, uh, and I'm going. I've got... Uh Eight entries in it, and uh, we're going this weekend, and going to have some fun. Win or lose, it's a good contest. <laughs> September nineteenth in uh, on Green. It's actually in uh, let's see, New Braunfels, correct? Yeah, Green is a little town right next to New Braunfels. It's right on the the Canal River, gotcha. and uh, the Meat Fest is at the Rock and R, which is a place where you could rent tubes and kayaks and stuff like that canoes and whatever. Sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, and this is September 19th this weekend, 11 to 7 p.m. Uh, 20 bucks a person includes tasting glass and eight tasting tickets. And I mean, just, you know, food vendors, uh, music, honey tastings, uh, homebrew uh, competition. So it sounds like a ton of fun. So if you're in the... Uh, uh, New Brunfels uh, area, green area in Texas, uh, by all means, go. And we expect to see pictures and a full report, Dave, when you get back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and for anyone in Texas, this is a good place to come uh, meet the local uh, meat makers and also the honey suppliers. Yeah. So it's Perfect. a great place to do a little networking, too. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, uh, guys, uh, thanks a million for joining us tonight. Chris in Minneapolis, uh, I mean, uh, Chris in Mississippi, Matt in Minneapolis. I got all this stuff written down, but I got to change glasses to see it. <laughs> Matt, Matt in Minneapolis, Dave's in Texas, uh, Brandon uh, over in Malta, and of course, AJ uh, up in Canada. Tyson, uh, what a pleasure. I love coming on, uh, you guys coming on the show. Uh, you're over there in Virginia. Uh, good to hear that you're uh, getting involved in this whole meat making process. I mean, uh, I think it's kind of fun. I- I'm really enjoying it. Are you? Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, AJ, uh, that's going to about wrap it up for us for the next couple of weeks. So, uh, last uh, final thought. Oh, just keep on making mead. Just keep on making mead. <laughs> That's what I'm going to be doing. Yeah, driving for the perfect match. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm eager to see how this traditional is going to turn out that I got going with the Oscars' help. Uh, and uh, we'll let everybody know when we come back. So uh, that's going to be it from Got Mead Live. We'll see you in a couple of weeks, October 6th, 9 o'clock, Tuesday nights, uh, right here on Got Mead Live. So we'll see you then. <laughs>